Good morning. That was weak. Let's try again. Roll that back. Good morning. It's good to see you. I don't know if you've had the week that I've had, but a lot's been going on. Have you noticed that? Uh, at my house, a new dog showed up. Hmm. You know, part of voting is learning how to lose. I learned a little bit about that at my house. Not so much with getting the dog, but in naming the dog. You know, did you feel that kind of weight when you had your child? Like, I'm about to give this kid a name that's going to stick with it for the whole rest of its life. Bo. I was outvoted. Bo. I wanted Silas. That's biblical. Paul and Silas. And a stuck dynasty. Uncle Si. You know? But I got Bo. Well, we've had a lot going on at our house this week. With that, we had a lot going on in the country this week. And I want to remind you of a couple of things. One, uh, I didn't know that Vice President Biden watched our sermons. He stole my sermon and used it. Did you notice that, Paula? Did, he totally listened to my sermon last week, and he stole it. Didn't give me credit for it or anything, as he mentioned Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, that was kind of interesting. I mean, it's fine. If he wants to use it, he could at least give me credit for it. I would remind you that uh, a couple of things about this sermon this week. When did we announce this sermon series? Come on, think back with me. About three weeks ago, right? Do you remember that we went through all of these passages of Scripture? So I say that to say, please in no way, shape, or form take what I'm about to say as being uh, on the point to what has happened politically in our country this week. We were looking at time change anyway, and that's important for us. Uh, I think one of the things that happens, though, whenever we have elections is that we feel the strain of a country, those kinds of things. And we talked a lot about this passage of Scripture. Do you remember that we read from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32 that there were these wise men who helped King David to understand the days in which he was living, to understand the times in which he was living, to be able to apply wisdom to those times. So what do we do in times like these? Well, one of those things that I think comes from us, uh, from the Scripture that comes to us, rather, I should say, uh, comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you, you kind of find this, and we've preached this, this message before. This isn't our text for today, but I'll have the guys throw it up on the screen. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Say that word with me. Everyone. That means whether you're excited about what happened in our country this week or you're a little disappointed. doesn't matter. For, say it again, everyone, Right? for kings and all those in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. Have you wanted to know how to please God lately? That's a great way to do it, isn't it? It's to go before the Lord and, and to begin praying for those who are our leaders. Whether you voted for them or not doesn't say that, doesn't talk about political parties or not. One of the things that I've done is I've gone ahead and in my prayer journal, I've gone ahead and turned the page and, and every Thursday I start praying for our elected officials. I pray for our local officials. I pray for our state officials. I pray for our national officials. I hope that you'll be doing the same thing. Now I recognize like you do that there are a lot of things swirling around and we've got legal challenges and all that kind of stuff. doesn't matter. Your job is to do what? Pray. 
pray for those who are in authority, and we let God take care of the rest, and we're going to do that. Well, we're going to be talking today about understanding our times and the times in which we're living in out of Matthew 24. And you know, if you've read those passages of scripture with me before, it talks about the certainty of the end times and the uncertainty of how we understand what those things are going to be. And I'd encourage you to turn in your Bible to Matthew 24 with me. And I want to read that for us today. Over the last week, I've been traveling. I haven't been here. Uh, While the election night was rolling in, I had the just the glorious privilege of sitting in a hotel room by myself. I don't know how many of y'all like that. That drives me crazy. Traveling on the road. Some of you who do that for a living, I don't know how you do it, honestly, because at about seven o'clock, there's nothing left to do. So you're back in your hotel room, just kind of sitting around. I determined I wasn't going to watch the election results because I had pre-voted, so it didn't really matter. It was going to be what it was going to be. And I found Rocky. (laughs) Have you watched Rocky lately? You should. There's a lot there. Uh, But I'd forgotten kind of one of the grossest parts of Rocky. Do you remember that when he takes that cup and he cracks all those eggs in there and he drinks it? That's bad enough. But he has something like hanging off his mouth and he just goes like, and I was just like, that's the most disgusting thing in the world. You know what I mean? So, you know, while some of you were watching the election, I was getting grossed out watching Rocky. Uh, But I was on my way to the Timothy Initiative Conference that was held uh, this year and it was in South Carolina this year. They normally hold it in Florida. Timothy Initiative is one of our main global focus partners. Uh, They plant churches. In fact, you have helped be a part of planting, are you ready for this number? 85,000 churches worldwide. That's amazing that they've been able to do that. So they, they were doing that. So we were having this conference talking about what God was doing through that. And so it was a great time, but it got me thinking even more again after being in that conference that this passage of scripture that we're about to read is timely for us. And it's timely for us because believers have always had questions about this. And I want to just read verses one through eight this morning, and then we'll kind of buzz through some of the other verses in the chapter, but maybe not read all of them. But I want to read one through eight this morning. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. You can imagine they're looking at the temple and they're saying, this is This is awesome. This is crazy. It's beautiful, isn't it? And he says, do you see all of these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another, that it will not be thrown down. You remember the leader of the Timothy Initiative, David Nelms, has preached here before, and I've never forgotten what he said, that when he was in college, he had a friend who was always talking about the end times, always pointing them to the end times, and David might say something like, man, that's a really nice car. Look at that, look at that sports car. That's a cool car. And his friend would say, yeah, but it's going to burn. Man, Debbie Downer, all right, you know? It's a nice car. That's a beautiful home. Yeah, but it's gonna burn. And, and Jesus was kind of saying that to the disciples right here, wasn't it? They're looking at the temple and saying, look at this, this great building where we worship the, the Lord our God. And he says, yeah, but all of this is about to fall. One stone upon itself, not any of it's gonna be left. Verse three says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, now this is right across from the the temple mount. So they're they're able to see this. They're looking kind of across this small little valley over here, looking out over there and going, man, that is beautiful. Look, Look at that. And they come back to him and approach him privately and say, tell us when these things are gonna happen. What things? Well, 
when the temple is going to be destroyed, number one. Secondly, and what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these events are the beginning of the labor pains. It's the birth pains. It's the thing that that you start to know before it happens, right? You you get that that sense of like the baby is about to come, right? If any of you mothers in the room, you know exactly what he's talking about here. When labor pains started, you, you remember like, Whoa, what was that? Hold up here, we may, we may need, hold on, we do need to, we need to go because something is about to happen, right? You, you, you're getting a forewarning of what's about to come. And so as Jesus is talking about this, he's answering some questions for the disciples that every group of disciples, I believe, since that time has been asking When will the Lord return? And when we look around at our world and we see that it's crazy, and maybe right now you're feeling a little bit of the instability of the electoral process in our country right now, and you're just wondering, what's happening? How can I know what's going on? Or you're looking out around the world and you're seeing famines and earthquakes and natural disasters and tsunamis and hurricanes and all of these things, and you go, it's got to be close How can we know? Well, let's go back and think about what prophecy looks like because here's some of the things that we can learn about Christ's return from the scripture. When Christ came the first time, it had been prophesied, right? If you read the Old Testament, one of the things that makes me absolutely certain about the birth of Christ and the fact that he will return is that it was predicted so long ago and it has come true and we've been able to see that. You can look at the Old Testament and you can count hundreds of prophecies about the birth of Christ, even down to the place where he would be born. He was born in a town of Bethlehem. Now, how do we know that? One of the things that happened, if you remember, is that the prophecy was given and the religious leaders of the day knew that he was gonna be born in Bethlehem because Herod was very, very troubled. Who's this guy these wise men have come to talk to me about? Who's this Jesus? What is this king of the Jews? What what does that mean? And so he called the Jews to him and said, hey, Where's this Jewish Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, well, let's search the scripture. It says it's in Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting, though, that they knew where he was to be born, but they didn't bother to go look. The Jewish leaders didn't follow the wise men. The star landed right where he was to be born, and they could have gone and seen it for himself, but they missed it. They they didn't get it. And, And I think that's indicative of what prophecy does to us so many times. Prophecy is like looking through a veil dimly lit, right? I mean, we're kind of told that in the New Testament that that's how we see the future. It's really hard for us to get a clear picture. Have you ever kind of read the Old Testament prophecies and thought about the Jews and thought, gosh, why didn't they get it? Well, you get it because you're reading the New Testament, right? I mean, you've seen all these things come true, but when you look at Revelation, how much of it do you understand? It's a mystery, isn't it? There are these pictures and glimpses that we get from it, but it makes it hard for us to understand that. Later, the Jews would claim about Jesus that he couldn't be the Messiah because no one ever came out of Galilee. Well, he didn't come out of Galilee, did he? He was living in Galilee, but where was he born? He had been born in Bethlehem and then had gone to Egypt and then had come back all to fulfill 
prophecy. If you think the smear campaign stuff is bad in our political process, do you remember what they said about Jesus? They said one is that you're not from the right place. So you, you couldn't be the Messiah. You don't even have a dad. You couldn't be the Messiah. We, we, we know your mom and, and all this stuff, but the story on you, pal, is not that good. You were illegitimate. And, and then they said uh, about him that he was demon-possessed. That's a political smear campaign, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, that's hardcore, just going after somebody. Where you're born, your family ancestry, and then they basically say, you're nuts, you're demon-possessed, you couldn't be from God. So, so we see these things, but Jesus later would say to his disciples and to us that he was going away, and why did he say that he had to go away? If you've ever asked this question, why didn't Jesus just take us with him? Why did he have to go away? There's something very important, and because we're Baptists, sometimes we just shoot right past this, we, we just miss it sometimes. Why did he say he had to go away? If he went away, what was coming? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to dwell in your life and to dwell in my life. The comforter, the one that gives us wisdom was coming to dwell within us if Jesus went away. I mean, this is hard for me to believe. If I'm standing with Jesus on the Mount of Olives and he's like, hey, check it out. It's good for me to go away, I'm out. And what? No, I don't think so. You didn't ask me about that. It is not good that you go away. You need to stay right here and you need to make all this stuff that I see that is wrong, right. And could you do it now? Do you ever feel that way? God, why won't you just come back and make it right? Why isn't it right, right now? And he says, I have to go away because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to do something in your life. Jesus said if he went away, he'd come back for us. And so we're waiting his return and it's right for us to look to that. It's right for us to long for that. It's right for us to wonder about that. And all of that is good and proper, but no one knows the time. Jesus says, that's not even my thing. Only the father knows and he is not telling. How many of you missed the 1980s? Just, just come on, give me some of you do. Music was fun. It wasn't all serious, you know. I mean, it was, it was kind of like girls just want to have fun. It was just fun, right? People wore their hair inside ponytails, and we had like flock of seagulls hair for the guy. I mean, there, there were some fun things. Can I tell you one thing I don't miss about the 80s? As a kid growing up in the 80s, there was some kook all the time predicting the date that Jesus was going to come back and standing on a mountain somewhere with a bunch of people in white robes and stuff. That just freaked me out a little bit because there were certain aspects of Jesus' return and it's okay, it's okay if you feel this way because I felt this way. There's some things about Jesus' return that we, we don't really get from the scripture but yet we talk about it like this way. As a kid, I was told that I needed to be excited about the return of Christ. Wasn't, kind of freaked me out. Guy riding on a white horse, sword coming out of his mouth. You know, a little, little hard to kind of like get my head around. I was struggling with it, right? And then they would tell us things like this. Heaven is going to be so great. It's going to be one big praise service. I don't know that I want to go sing for eternity as a kid sitting in a praise service. I didn't get it, right? Did you ever have questions about that? Like, is this going to be like fifth Sunday singing where we just sing and sing and sing and sing and because we're Baptists, we don't sing the third verse, only the first, second, and the last. You know what I mean? Is that what it's going to be? Because I'm not, I'm not that interested in that. I mean, like, like, cause I mean, I remember being a kid kind of always like the reason I had a watch was to watch when my dad was going to be finished, you know, cause it was like, when we going to lunch around here? Did you ever feel that way? 
But what do we know about his return? Can I tell you what? I don't, I don't know that heaven's going to be one big praise service. I think there's going to be praise continually, it says. I think you're going to have a job in heaven. I think if you look to the way things were before the fall, you can get a pretty good idea of what things may look like for us in eternity. Sin will be no more. That's good, isn't it? Can we agree with that? This is where you say amen. These next three, okay. Sin will be done. That's good, that's good. No more tears. No more death. Isn't that good? Aren't you looking forward to that? Won't that be a happy day for us? But what do we do as we wait for his return? Well, we're looking for some things. And one of those things that happens from time to time is people have asked me from the time I first started in a ministry, hey, do you think so-and-so is the Antichrist? I don't know. It feels really heavy. Don't ask your pastor those kind of things. I'm not a prophet. I'm just a pastor, right? I don't know. But believers throughout all of history have wondered if certain people were the Antichrist, right? I mean, they've watched the things around them. And they've wondered when these things were going to happen. And why is it so hard to know? Well, again, it's prophecy through a veil dimly lit. So when Jesus starts answering these questions, what does he answer? Well, if you noticed, he answered two questions. Would you look back in the scripture at verse 3? The disciples actually asked two separate questions. And some of the confusion comes from this passage of scripture is that he's answering two separate questions. And he doesn't say, well, part one and part two exactly, okay? So part one, he says, can you tell us when these things are going to happen? What things? When is the temple going to be destroyed? When are we going to see stone upon stone torn down? And laid out, when are these things going to happen, Jesus, that you just talked about? That's question one. And then question two is, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus starts talking about these things, and he's talking about two different questions. Now, what I just read for you in, in this passage of Scripture describes the birth pains of things that are about to happen that Jesus, as one theologian is saying, are signs that are not signs of his return. Does that make sense? Think about this. Let's read them again. Verse four, watch out that you won't be deceived. Many are gonna come in my name and say I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. You're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars, so that you'll not be alarmed, so that these things must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes in various places. All of these are the very beginnings of the labor pains of what? The destruction of Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that happens is when we study prophecy, sometimes there's prophecy that is foretold that is for a specific time and place only. Sometimes there's a duality to it. There is prophecy that's for a specific time and place, but also for believers in future generations. And I think Jesus is talking here about one very specific thing, but it also comforts our hearts as well. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. And as he does, he begins to tell them, these are some things that are going to happen, and did they happen? Can we look back and say, did they happen? Yes. As we continue on in verse 9, he says, you're going to actually be handed over to be persecuted. Did that happen? Yes, it did. How many of the disciples, Bible trivia question, how many of the disciples lived to ripe old age? Can you hold up your hand? One. Bonus points if you can name him. John. All the rest of them, they kind of die a death that you wouldn't want to necessarily go through, right? They're persecuted. Even the apostle Paul He's persecuted, he's put in prison. Did that happen? Yes. Will it happen to believers in future generations? Yes. 
right? It happened. Now, as we keep going, he says, many will fall away. If you look down at verse 15, he says, then you're going to see this abomination of desolation. What's he talking about? Well, Daniel talks about that several times. And and most people believe this happens uh, about 150-ish plus BC, before the time of Christ, when, when a guy comes to Jerusalem and he actually sacrifices a pig on the altar of the Lord right there, I mean, right at the Temple Mount. That's the, the greatest desecration that could happen. But we see in Luke 21, a parallel passage that says when the destruction of Jerusalem is going to happen, there will be various armies on all sides of Jerusalem. And guess what? That happened when the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews never lived there again as free people, right? They, they were constantly taken away and enslaved until Israel was made a state again. So when you, when you see that, you're seeing that through their eyes, this is prophecy that has happened. And yet as we read these things, man, we read them and we feel the strain of that, don't we? We feel famines and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And so we're living with that duality. But I think what Jesus is saying, these are signs in your life that are going to take place. And that's when you're going to see Jerusalem fall. But then... If you turn over just a little bit further into the chapter, you see some things that he says about his return being prophesied. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will uh, not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming out of the clouds in heaven with power and great glory. He'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. What's the sign of his return? (laughs) Don't know but it says it's gonna be obvious and you won't miss it, right? You won't miss it. The sign of his return, I don't know. It just says there's a sign of his return, but it says you won't miss it. Why? Because we're gonna be gathered away with him, the elect from the four corners of the earth. And I say that to say to you, are we living in the last days? More than likely. Every group of believers has felt like the return of Christ was closer now than it's ever been. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Are we seeing things like he talks about here that the disciples would have looked like, uh, looked at and said, man, these are the birth pains. We're recognizing these things. Yes, are we feeling the creation groan and strain? Are we hearing of wars and rumors of wars? Do we feel like things are unhinged? Yes, we do. But what do we do with that? How do we live in these days? I think there are two parts of this passage of scripture that speak to us, particularly this week, when we can get a little bit caught up in believing that the election that we go through here on, in our country rather, every four years or two years, depending on how how it works, if it's House of Representatives things, or six years if it's the Senate, we can really get caught up in thinking that that's the most important thing in the world. Would you do me a favor today and go back and read Psalm 2 when you get home? You need to read that. As we were preaching last week, we were talking about seasons of our lives that God brings. And maybe today, you're finding the season that you're in, you're like, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way things turned out. It's a season. And maybe you'd say, I'm really disappointed in the way things turned out. 
it's a season. And whatever season it is, we have to understand that these are the things that God is doing. God's on the throne. He's not missed any of this. Nothing happens without his eye being on us. If his eye's on the sparrow, I know he watches me. I still believe that maybe the best lesson that we could ever learn, we learned when we were younger and we used to sing it. I won't make you join with me, but we would sing he's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world. Do you believe that or not? Really, do you believe that or not? So what do we do? How do we live? I think Jesus gave us a couple of answers that he gave the disciples that are still applicable for us. I want you to underline a couple of verses with me this morning in your Bible. Go back to verse six. And I particularly want you to underline the second half of verse six. You're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place. I was talking with my kids the other day about being scared. Do you like it when you're scared? I've never understood people who thought it was fun to watch horror movies. The Bible says that we shouldn't live with a spirit of fear, so I don't want any part of that. I've never watched one, ever. I'm not going to haunted houses for you to jump out at me. None of that kind of stuff. I, I don't find that funny. I don't like being scared. I don't like being alarmed, you know? I think I've told you this story. One night when Kathy and I were first married, I woke up, our bedroom had two doors. It was like a pass-through bedroom. And I woke up to, coom, coom, both doors being shut. And I was like, what are you doing? There's someone in the house. What? There's someone in the house. I just heard a window break. Well, I did what anybody does. I went and grabbed my old pistola and I started going through the house quietly. And then I felt something behind me. I about came out of my skin. It was my wife with a knife. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Get out of here. <laughs> At the shoot you, shoot me, shoot the whole place up. What is going on? We had bought some kind of little plant. I don't know what it was. It, maybe it was like an orchid or something. It grew really tall. And as it had grown tall, it tipped over in the night, the vase. And that was what was broken in our house. I don't like being scared. Do you like being alarmed? I don't, right? And Jesus gives us this command and he says, do not be alarmed. When you look around at all of these things, do not be alarmed. That's not a suggestion. It's a command for believers who are living in tumultuous times. Do not be alarmed. A command for us. Not that we're to be running around, the sky is falling and, and the world is ending and all those kind of things. He's like, yeah, you should know that I'm coming back and that all these things are going to take place. You don't be alarmed. Can I tell you that right now the world is watching believers for how we're responding to everything that takes place in our world. And if you're losing your mind right now, 
If you're losing your mind at the, the next thought of war or the next thought of pandemic or the next thought of the, listen, do not be alarmed. How can we look at the things that go on in the world when we see war and rumors of war and famine and earthquake and tsunami and all these kinds of things? How can we look at those things, pandemics, and not be alarmed? Well, it's because we know who is on the throne. And he's not just on the throne in some place called heaven. He's on the throne of our lives. Or is he? Is that just a platitude that we throw out? I don't like platitudes. I really don't. I don't like saying things like, I almost made you do it this morning, but I really, I really don't like it. God is good, and you say all the time, and I say all the time, and you say God is good, and none of us believe it. That's a platitude. Don't say it if you don't believe it, right? I mean, you, you have to live it out. It has to be part of your everyday life where you're walking going, I'm not alarmed at this. I understand the days in which I'm living, and I understand that there's a God in heaven who has loved me and prepared a place for me in eternity. And I'm going to get there either by death or his second coming. Doesn't matter which one. Because I'm secure in Christ. I'm secure with the blood of the lamb on me. My name is written in the lamb's book of life. And there's nothing that can take that away from me. We used to sing a hymn. I'm standing on the promises of God. Safe and secure from all alarms. Not just some. All. Why? Because I'm standing on the promises that God has made me, that God has loved me with an everlasting love, that he's told me I don't have to worry, that he's going to provide everything that I need right now and in the future. He's already done it, that all of the promises are yes in Christ Jesus. So for us as believers to run around like the world is ending when it's not ending, it's not really inspiring, is it? Not really inspiring for anyone to say, come follow this Christ that has changed my life. But I'm scared to death of everything. I was talking with one of our pastors recently. He was just talking about how it just seems like too many of us have too much time on our Maybe it's because we've been having to stay home from work. I know at our house we have a modified school day right now because we're doing online school, right? We, we haven't been able to go back. And, and normally my kids are in school all day from 8 to 3.45. Then we have to go pick them up. We don't get home till after 4.15, 4.30, right? Now they're done and running around. And, you know, you ever watch your YouTube feed you should sometimes because it shows you what your kids are watching all of the time. The, the recommended videos that pop up and I'm telling you, there's some dumb stuff out there. There's some stuff that'll make you crazy. If all you do is respond in that way, you're missing an opportunity to go deeper with the Lord, to stand on the promises in faith and everything that's going on around you and say, I, I don't know what the cure to the coronavirus is. I don't know who will win the election. I don't know what will happen next week. I don't know what will happen next year, but I do know what's gonna happen in eternity. I'm gonna be in heaven with Jesus and that's gonna be A-okay. Safe and secure from all alarms. Don't be alarmed. This is a time for you to live in faith. 
Second thing I want you to underline, verse 14. This is the good news of the kingdom, or this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Why do I believe that we're closer than we've ever been? Because we're closer to this happening than we've ever been. We have the technology within our grasp through some of our great mission partners like Faith Comes by Hearing, like the Timothy Initiative, to make sure, Timothy Initiative, a church in every village. Remember you gave to that last year. Faith Comes by Hearing, you gave so that two more languages could be recorded in the audio Bible so that people could hear. Because without hearing, how can they know, right? Isn't that what Romans says? How can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we believe in that and we resource that and we're closer than we've ever been to being able to do that. And in the midst of everything that's going on, what Jesus didn't say to do was predict the date of his return, go sit on some mountain in a white robe with a bunch of people, sell all your stuff and just wait. That's not what he said. What he said was, when I leave, you've got a mission. You're gonna be co-laborers with me in the fields. Pray that there would be workers to go into harvest because the, the fields will be white unto harvest. Pray that people will be safe. Pray that we'll have opportunities. Pray that we'll engage people with the gospel. I wanna show you a picture. When I was at Faith Comes By Hearing this week, this picture was given to us. It's, it's not for me, it's, it's for you. I'll put it on the screen for you, I believe, so that you can see it a little closer here. But I want, you to, I want you to see this picture and I want you to look at it. And I want you to understand this because th this is important what I'm about to tell you. Here's what we're living for. I, I want you to understand this. This picture is of a man named Thomas. And Thomas was a renowned warrior in his tribe. One of only a handful of people who were chosen to actually defend the tribe, to defend the livestock from predators. And, and he really felt pride in his position. He enjoyed his position. He liked the brutality of the position that he was in. Sometimes those predators that he was killing were animals, but a lot of times they were people. They were other tribesmen coming, trying to take from his tribe what was rightfully there. And he enjoyed it. He was proud of this. He lived a warrior's ethic. He did what he, he could. He did what warriors do. He fought to the death. But one day he met a church planter from the Timothy Initiative. And that church planter, they call them Pauls or Timothy or Tituses. Pauls are the originators of these church plants. Timothys are the ones who are going out and planting other churches. Tituses are the third generation of that in that area going to do that. One day he met one of these church planters and they shared the gospel with him. And as he listened, what he saw in his mind was a replay of all of the evil things he had done. You know what Thomas was broken about? The, the church planter shared that, that he began to weep. And here's what he was broken about. Are you ready for this? He was recalling to mind all of the people that he had killed. He also told the church planter all the women that he had beaten in his life. This guy was not someone to look up to. This guy was not someone that you wanted to invite over for dinner. But as the gospel was being shared with him, he began to weep because he was understanding the gravity of his own sin and the fact that there was a savior who had loved him. And Thomas gave his life 
to Christ. And now he identifies himself as a spiritual warrior for Jesus, not killing people, but taking down the strongholds of the enemy. That's what we're living for right there. That's the mission, this guy. The the mission isn't to understand all of the things and be able to, to look out and say, well, this is the exact date that Jesus is coming back. Forget all of that. Understand the times in which we're living in, labor pains. Don't be alarmed by all that you're seeing and understand that the fields are still white unto harvest. The gospel is powerful and effectual for those who would receive Christ Jesus. That's legit. That's the mission. That's what God's given you. I was thinking about this the other day and I wrote it down in my prayer journal. It's grieving me that this year, are you ready? This year, I've not led one person to Christ this year. Not one. What are you grieved about? Does that bother you? Does it bother you? Are you, are you, are you burdened by that? Are you burdened by, by things that are passing away, things that are all gonna fall on top of one another and burn one day? I'm burdened by the fact that I haven't led anyone to Christ this year. And I just wrote that in my prayer journal. Please, Lord, by the end of the year, I wanna see somebody come to Christ. I wanna see that. You know what starts to happen when you do that? is that God starts to bring opportunities to you so that you can start to witness and engage people with the gospel. We've forgotten that our mission was gospel engagements. We've forgotten that our mission was a kingdom mission. We're too alarmed by everything. So much time on our hands that we've forgotten as we've read all the stuff that rolls through our feeds and watched the news and kept up with everything and watched you know, the YouTube videos and everything else. That, that, that's our mission. It's a real guy who had he died without Christ would have spent eternity in hell. But thank God Thomas is our brother. And you know why that happened? Because you gave and because somebody went. You gave when you get to heaven, I believe, and it's just my belief, I don't know that you can find it in the scripture, but I believe that one of the things that we're gonna do is just spend a lot of time talking with people who we directly and indirectly influenced into the kingdom. And maybe Thomas will walk up to you at the coffee bar of heaven and as you're getting your lattes, well, where did you live in your former life? Oh, I lived in Nashville at this place called Judson Baptist. Judson Baptist. Hmm. You know, you guys gave. And a church was planted. And a man came and spoke to me. And I'm here because of you. Thank you. Don't be alarmed. And don't forget the mission. Over the next few weeks before the end of the year, I want to challenge us. I want us to live not alarmed. Who knows what's around the corner? Who knows what the next pandemic will be? Who knows what the next political outcome will be? Who knows what the next war will be? Who knows where the next tsunami will be? Who knows where the next earthquake will be? Don't know. That's the beginning. This is eternity. That's the beginning, but this is eternity. 
I want to ask you to do something right now. I want you to bow your head and pray with me. I want you to just start right now. Are you alarmed? Do you have reason to be? Are you anxious? Would you just go before the Lord and thank Him that all the promises in Christ Jesus are true? They're for you and they're for me, for those who are in Christ. Would you stand on those promises today? Would you thank God for the opportunity we've had to invest in Thomas's life? Would you pray for him as he destroys the strongholds of Satan as a spiritual warrior now? Not battling flesh and blood. Maybe like me, you've realized it's been a while since you've had the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. Would you start praying that prayer today, right now? Sometimes that means taking the focus off of ourselves and our circumstances and just opening our eyes to the people that are around us. God's placed you somewhere on purpose for his mission so that all the people of the world may hear, so they may know that there's a God who loves them and sent his son to die in their place. I'm going to ask Pastor Kirk just to slide up here and just lead us in this chorus that Daniel's playing after I pray. And I want you to sing it with all your heart. Father, we are grateful that you are good, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And Father, we look forward to the return of Christ. We pray for it. We're ready for no more sin. We're ready for no more death. We're ready for no more tears. And Father, while you've left us here, we pray that you would lift our eyes today so that we would remind ourselves we're safe and secure from all alarms. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to live on mission today. Thank you for Thomas's life. God, we pray a blessing for him today that you would bless his worship today, that you would bless their church, Father, that you would use Thomas in your kingdom mightily. Father, thank you that we were able to invest just a little bit in his story. Lord, help us. We need you. Every hour we need you. We declare our dependency on you. Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our country. We ask God that you would bring our leadership into conformity with your will. 
We ask that you would bless believers who are in leadership in our country, Lord, to know how to live and to do and to act what is right and just to please you. Father, help your church to be a light in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.